Welcome to the VMware Multi-Cloud Podcast. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today I have my co-host David Jasso. Today's topic, cloud migration and VMware Cloud on AWS. With us, we have Jeff Eberhardt, Senior Solutions Engineer, Engineering Manager. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Very good. Looks very sunny in your background there. Where are you out of? I live in Austin, Texas, and yeah, we have the, the luckiness of having an almost constant summer out here. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. So why don't you give us a little bit of background of who you are, uh, your professional background, and then maybe introduce uh, your role in supporting VMC on AWS. Sure. So I, like you said, I lead the solution engineering team for VMware Cloud on AWS for both our private sector and public sector customers here in the United States. I started off, uh, as most people do in Austin, working at the local large computer manufacturer here. Did that for a few years and saw VMware was really the future. It was taking a lot of my business away because as virtualization became more and more uh, effective and useful, customers started seeing such good things out of it from a cost perspective as well as availability that they started going away from buying a bunch of hardware and buying software instead. So. Got an opportunity to come over here to VMware about nine years ago and spent the past nine years just building up my my background in virtualization, storage, networking, et cetera. And for the past year, I've been leading the VMware Cloud on AWS team, so helping our customers get from on-premises into the cloud. That's awesome, Jeff. Uh, Hey, Jeff. you know, a lot of our viewers are probably not familiar with, um, listeners are probably not familiar with uh, VMware Cloud on AWS. Maybe you can tell us just a little bit about what it is, you know, in terms of sort of, you know, you know where, it's, where, where it gets its start in terms of the data center and then uh, the idea of moving it out into the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, a lot of customers, you know, 10, 15 years ago, were starting with compute virtualization, where you took a server uh, that had processors, memory, and network, and installed VMware on it, and suddenly, instead of being able to one run operating system at a time, you could run you know, 10, 15, 20. And over time, like I said, people saw a lot of goodness out of that. Uh, we introduced a lot of technology and features that allowed higher uptime, easier mobility. And then about six years ago, um, VMware decided to expand the business and realized, hey, Compute virtualization is neat, but there are still those other things that need to be virtualized, like storage and networking. And so we took storage and networking along with vSphere, our computer virtualization platform, and created a uh, foundation that's actually called VMware Cloud Foundation. And it's basically putting some of the features you may have heard of vSAN, NSX, or virtualized storage and our virtualized networking, along with vSphere, into a lifecycle managed um, package. The advantage for customers on that is you really have one you know, version number to look at and everything works together really nicely. Well, that's great on premises, uh, but a lot of customers now have a need to move to the cloud. Now we'll talk later about what those reasons might be to move to the cloud, but one that we hear frequently is the fact that someone in the organization heard the word cloud once and said, hey, you know what, we need to be able to get up there. And so VMware partnered with Amazon to take that cloud foundation and actually put it on bare metal servers up in Amazon's data centers. So now you have the ability to use all of those cloud native applications that Amazon has right next to the vSphere 
vSAN and NSX applications that you've been using on-premises without having to change any of those applications. Cool. Hey, Jeff, is that like, are you running, um, how does that work? Are you running uh, VMware technologies on top of the virtual layer that, that Amazon delivers or is it something different? No, great question. No, so it is actually running on bare metal hardware. Uh, currently, we're using two instance types up in Amazon, the i3 instance and the R5 instance, but we are going straight through um, to the Intel processors, memory, et cetera. There is no in-between layer of Amazon's virtualization platform. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what that means is that you're running exactly the same core a software-defined infrastructure in both uh, on the on-premise and whatever you're doing with VMware, and then also in, in AWS. Is that right? Exactly, yeah. No changes are needed. You're using the same software. And in fact, one of the things that VMware's been doing is we're, we're iterating even a little bit quicker in the cloud. So we're able to use the fact that we have this cloud platform that we're rolling out to many, many customers at one time to introduce new features. And customers can opt into that, in which case they get to try out things that they can't even do on-premises yet. Cool. When they're up in the cloud. Yeah. Amazon's uh, got data centers everywhere. Are we sort of paired with that? Or is this, you know, only in the U.S.? Sort of how does that work with Amazon? Great question. We are pretty much everywhere Amazon is. Uh, United States, uh, Asia Pacific, multiple locations in Europe, uh, South America. Really the only place that we're not quite yet in is uh, in the African continent or, uh, of course, uh, Antarctica. But I'm sure once we get some data centers up and running there, we would be more than happy to be on all seven continents. Cool. Sounds great. Right. So this is just Amazon giving you metal, right, that, that VMware then has the ability to put our stack on and then offer that as a, as a service to our customers, right, uh, in a sense of they already can purchase our payload, VCEF, uh, VMware Cloud Foundation, and, and run it on-prem. Now we're just giving it to you. Do we, we install it, we set it up, we manage that, we maintain that base infrastructure, I would assume. Absolutely. We are your single point of contact uh, for VMware Cloud on AWS. So you, of course, if you're interested in Amazon, you can set up uh, instances on Amazon's side and they will run those for you and you'll work with them for that. But from the VMware Cloud on AWS perspective, it's sold as a service by us, uh, completely supported by us, completely managed by us uh, to the virtualization layer. Yeah, Above can... that, we do, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I can see that that the reason you would do this is you're just already buying a certain amount of uh, compute capacity or cloud capacity with VCF on-prem, and now you just add into your, your purchase agreement some amount of service along with that so that you can expand almost seamlessly out from that software stack. Absolutely. Customers want to be able to have, um, in some cases, a choice. Right, their their on-premises data centers may be working. Maybe they're already working with colo facilities in other regions, and you know, frankly, Amazon has done a really good job of building data centers and building availability into that. And so they say, hey, you know, we have this renewal coming up on a co-location agreement that we have, but you know, we we probably trust VMware and Amazon to run our solution a little bit better than we do some other solution providers. Let's go with them and. and because of the wide variety of locations that we have available, customers are loving that for things like disaster recovery or even localized compute if they're a, you know, not just a U.S.-based business, but maybe a globally-based business. Uh, at times, finding a data center and building it out in a different country can be hard. We make it easy. 
Nice. If there are some different approaches customers are using to get to the cloud, right? I think, you know, I'm thinking around, you know, refactoring, people just sort of rebuilding, completely rebuilding a new app or creating a hybrid app where they start to leverage cloud services. This really is in this area of replatforming, right? I think this is sort of where, uh, you know, sort of where this fits, you know, mostly is this issue of, I just want to move the app to the cloud and really my goal is to make as few changes to it as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and yeah, there are multiple, multiple ways customers are moving to the cloud. Replatforming, like you mentioned, is literally sometimes also called a lift and shift. You take the application, in this case, because we're running VMware in the cloud, just the same as you do on-premises, you don't make any changes to the application and you literally just copy it up into the cloud. The advantage of that is no changes. And we'll talk a lot more about that later. But um, other customers are saying, you know, we actually, we're, we're thinking of refactoring. We want to make this a native application, whether Amazon's cloud or Microsoft's cloud or Google cloud. Um, from a refactoring perspective, uh, the advantage is by doing that, you can take advantage of native APIs, et cetera, that they have in their cloud. The disadvantage is, though, if you move that application up, um, you know, there is no Google Cloud on-premises right now. So if you move it up, it kind of stays in that cloud. And if you decide whatever mega cloud you move it to that you don't like it there anymore, maybe it's for cost reasons, availability, just something changed in the way that your company is moving forward, uh, you pretty much have to rebuild it. So refactoring can get a bit messy at times. Uh, and then finally, from a hybridity perspective, some customers have built some really cool applications natively in the cloud. Um, but maybe they have a large amount of data that's sitting on premises and due to regulatory reasons or even just internal politics of the company, they can't move that up. Well, with the cloud, you sometimes have to create those connections between on-premises and that cloud to allow those hybrid apps. And again, with VMware Cloud on AWS, we're able to make that a little bit easier because we can create those connections, we can stretch those networks and make it so that your cloud and your on-premises look like the same place, uh, along with all of the security benefits and no changes benefits that customers are frequently looking for. In that in that area of replatforming, Jeff, you uh, mentioned um, you know lift and shift. You know, I've often heard a lot of people talk about this kind of as lift, shift, and tinker, basically, right? Because um, you know, it a lot of people are probably not their first thought, but there are a lot of dependencies between the infrastructure. Yeah. All right, we have to stop for okay. a second. Jeff Zaudio is really, um, it, because he's on uh, um, those phones that he has, uh -huh. if he has a plug-in uh, phone that he can plug a headset on the computer, his audio would be way better. Like, It's not horrible that he can't use, but it's not a nice... Do you have a different uh, headset, Jeff? Uh, not really. Um... Let me see if I, I can maybe turn him up. I don't know if volume on, because it, it won't affect ours. But. Because it's, he's far from his mic on his machine at some time. It's capturing his ambient uh, song. Uh -huh. That's why he's not like, it's kind of yeah. a little bit cavish. If he would have a mic that he can uh -huh. it would be better. But it's not terrible. We can use that. Would it be better maybe if he switched the microphone on his computer right? instead of using his head? I don't have a mic. But on the Zoom, in the Zoom, he's got, uh, he can enable. I can, 
Let me let me try and switch to wired, and you all can tell me if this sure. is any better. Um, because this computer does not have. Oh, it doesn't have mic. Okay, never mind that. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. But let me see this. Give me a second. Are y'all there? Yeah. Yes. Does How's that sound that? better? Say more. Um, hi, hello, this is Jeff. Can you hear me any better? Say it again. Hello, this is Jeff. Can you all hear me any better now? Yeah, it ha it's a crisper sound. It doesn't have the it doesn't have that Wi-Fi sound. You know, the Bluetooth echoey sound. Okay. Yeah. It's a little crisper. It's crisper. Yeah, it so is Chris, but it's fine, right? He doesn't have, he's not a Mr. Podcast, uh, you no, know, no, super heavy mic. That's fine. Uh, it's no, better. No, no one, no one told me I should expand to play Yeti before I came into I know. I've happily done that. I don't think I've ever watched anybody actually use a Bluetooth uh, earbud uh, to podcast before. You're the first. Well, uh, sorry, uh, you know. I, I should have uh, all right. Thought about it. All right. So good. How do you want to move forward? Yeah, we're going to try to remember where we were at. Uh, we were talking about something. Um, application infrastructure dependency. Was yeah, we're talking David about replatforming. Let's about. start with replatforming. Yeah. All right. We'll do. Uh, we'll start replatforming. Uh, uh, whenever Julia wants to give us the thumbs up. I'll lead in with the question, Jeff. Uh, okay. Jeff, can you talk a little bit more? I want to be sure that's not worse than before. Okay, Jeff, yeah, absolutely. read something off so, of a piece of paper. I'll tell you a story about my life. I was born in 1982 in Southern California to a ski instructor and a ski instructor. Spent the uh, first year of my life in cold and sadness, but then I learned how to ski, and uh, I, I could I ski for about a year before I could walk. Because it changes a lot, yeah. it's not better. Okay, and she says go back to your original. He's like that. Now you won't look different on camera. It changes a lot. I prefer view. Yeah. And it's not get better. I prefer keep the same. Yeah, it's a, it's it's the same. He's not on a microphone, okay. so it's it's fine. All right. I'd say something so we just know that it's working. VMware Cloud on AWS. Okay. It's working. Okay. Um, let me know when we're we're ready to start, and we'll and wait I'll, our two seconds. And then and, I'll I'll pick up with the question, Jeff. All right. So, Jeff, um, replatforming, let's talk a little bit about that. I, I, I've heard it called, um, you know, you talked about it as lift and shift, but I've often heard it called lift, shift, and tinker um, because it turns out that um, almost everybody has some level of dependency between the application and the infrastructure that uh, they're probably not aware of. And they, they um, move an application out to the cloud and then have to spend time um, you know, trying to figure out where that dependency is and then rewriting some code. Can you talk a little bit about that problem? Yeah. So a lot of customers, um, you know, they think they understand their applications. And when you talk to different line of business owners, they say, yeah, I know how my marketing application works or I know how my finance application works. And in, in an ideal world, that would be the case. You know what has dependencies on what, how they talk, and where. What we found, though... Um, by running a lot of uh, sessions with customers is the fact that 
Well, initially the application was set up in a certain way. Unfortunately, changes had been made and maybe this database server had to be brought in and Active Directory had to be brought in over here, et cetera. And after a while, instead of having the nice two or three connections that they think the application has, it actually may have five, 10, 15, or even 40 plus dependencies. And when you're thinking of moving to the cloud, um, things like network latency come into play. You have to think, okay, if I move my application, which you're thinking of as maybe one or two virtual machines in our case up to the cloud, um, everything's gonna be honky-dory, except when you move that application and now suddenly instead of having one or two millisecond latency like you'd have on a uh, internal network, you may jump up to 25, 50, or even 100 milliseconds of latency. And certain applications just don't deal well with that. So now you have a choice. You say, okay, well, do I move my application back onto on-premises and lose some of the advantages that I had by moving it to the cloud? Or do I move everything up into the cloud? And in a case like that, um, you know, obviously there are costs associated with moving everything up into the cloud. And, and other times there are other implications uh, from a security perspective or even perhaps an application perspective where you can't necessarily move your whole database server up into the cloud without affecting maybe 10 other things that are dependent on that. So what we try and do at VMware before we have customers start moving to the cloud is we'll actually run different assessments with them to understand the applications that they think they want to move to the cloud. And we can pull out those dependencies for them and say, hey, you want to move this to the cloud? No big deal. Here are the eight things that it's touching. What do we want to do with those? And those will lead to longer workshops, et cetera, to try and figure that out. But what we found is customers, first of all, appreciate understanding what might need to be moved with those applications. But secondly, we can sometimes work with those application owners to figure out if we can break some of those dependencies and maybe move databases to something else or consolidate uh, applications so that they can move them up to the cloud without those problems that they may have otherwise had. So solving these dependency problems can be expensive, right? I've, I've seen some estimates um, where I think it was like something like $1,000 per workload that uh, Tanaja Group was saying that on average people incurred and I think I saw another estimate, 27 days per application. This was from ESG. Um, so, you know, this this issue of dependencies got um, both some real cost it, but also some uncertainties, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned $1,000 for an application. That's just, in some cases, it's just the people time. Uh, you know, we can talk about some of the other issues that come up around licensing implications can moving to the cloud performance implications, but as we look at customers wanting to move into the cloud, we have to try and make it ideally as simple as possible for them. And there's, there's one thing I didn't bring up earlier, but we should probably talk about. Um, so VMware Cloud on AWS is the team that I'm on, but we also have a partnership with a company called Cloud Simple, as well as partnerships with Microsoft and Google. So we're running that same VMware Cloud Foundation solution um, that we're running on-premises in VMware Cloud on AWS, in those other hyperscalers as well. And so when we start looking at these replatforming and moving, uh, you do have to take into account the fact that you as a customer may want to move some of your stuff into Azure, some of your stuff into Google, and some of your applications into Amazon. If you do those all natively, right, you refactor those, those applications are going to live in those mega clouds forever or until you decide to literally create and restart a, you know, a build of that application. 
the VMware Cloud on AWS, uh, as well as those other ones, because we're using Cloud Foundation, you can actually start something on premises, move that application to Amazon. If Microsoft comes out with a new API or a new feature set that makes it work even better over there, just vMotion, right? Copy that application over to one of those other mega clouds. That's something that you really can't do any other way. And by being able to keep that application the same and move it from place to place, you're not going to hit that $1,000 per VM replatforming cost or 27 days because it can really be as simple as a vMotion. Jeff, some of the some of the costs also, I think, you know, talk to, you talked about app to what effectively are app to app dependencies, right? Where, you know, connections um, build up over time and you don't know what's connected to not. But there are differences also in just when you move an application that's been running in the data center built on something like VMware to, if say, Amazon native or Azure native, there's some architectural differences, right? I, I think, you know, we've, we've, we're talking before about, um, you know, sort of the different categories of architectural differences that are really going to cause you to have to rethink how you build that application in the cloud. Maybe we can hit on some of those. I, I, you know, we started with, we talked a bit about licensing in the past when you and I sat down and had some discussions on this, but maybe you can talk about some of those big categories and, and why they make it hard for you to move an application to the cloud just in a replatforming scenario uh, where you're not looking to make any changes to the application, but you still have to do something because there's just architectural differences in how you build something for the data center versus building something for a public cloud. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the most common ones that we come across uh, from an application perspective is networking and security architecture changes. A lot of uh, home-built or you know, in-company-built in, in applications will have things like hard-coded IP addresses. When you take that hard-coded IP address and you move it to the cloud, you may or may not have that subnet available, right? So that network doesn't necessarily exist up in the cloud. With VMware Cloud and AWS, we have the ability to actually stretch your network from on-premises into the cloud. And what that means is, you know, if you have a application that has one of those hard-coded IP addresses, whether it lives on-premises or in the cloud, it can keep that same address. Well, now what does that do? Well, that allows you to not have to find someone who can program COBOL to re, you know, to change the IP address of, of that application. From a security perspective, uh, a lot of customers are using smart firewalls, right? Next generation firewalls from some of our partners. And when you move into the cloud, that next generation firewall or that next generation IPS IDS security appliance may not exist in that cloud. With VMware Cloud on AWS, because we're able to stretch that network out, we can have customers still sending data through those IPS, IDS, or next-gen firewall um, vendors' solutions to be able to maintain the security that they had when they were on-premises, the same as they do up in the cloud. Um, another thing that we've seen a lot of customers Jeff, come just, across is... Yeah, Jeff, just on that one, I mean, uh, maybe you could touch on software-defined networking, too, because I know, you know a lot of our customers are starting to use technologies like NSX for micro-segmentation, and if you've started to deploy that broadly, that's not something that's automatically going to be available, right? Yeah, right. So, you know, NSX, we do have some partnerships with the mega clouds where we can do a version of NSX in the cloud, but it's not quite the same as what we offer on VMware Cloud on AWS. With VMware Cloud on AWS, um, we run a version of NSX called NSX-T, and more than likely, our customers are running that on-premises as well. So as they create 
you know, you mentioned micro segmentation as they create firewall rules and groups, et cetera, that same concept and those same ideas exist both on premises and the cloud. So as they move their applications up into the cloud, they can create those same types, excuse me, same types of rules um, for those applications up in the cloud. And there are some really neat things that you can do around, um, you know, application types, IP addresses, tagging. So, hey, we never think a web server should talk to another web server. Rather than having to create a million individual rules for our web servers, we can just say, all of these virtual machines are web, and therefore there's a rule that doesn't allow them to ever talk. So, you know, the solutions that they're using on premises, absolutely, they can continue using what they know about that and implement those up in the cloud. And, and if they replatform that and just you know try to move that to native AWS, they'd have to find a different way to create that scheme, right? And that's sort of where the hours would come in, where you know you can do right. it, but you'd have to invest time and energy in, in building a, a different architecture to support that. Exactly, and that's where that time and that money comes in because you know. Fortunately or unfortunately, VMware has been really successful over the years. And because of that, a lot of people uh, in IT have learned what we do and how we do it. And so that's their day-to-day -day way that they work. Um, getting them into training classes to learn how a different cloud provider does it is not necessarily a bad thing for them. In fact, it's probably good for their, uh, for their career. But it's not really a net add. All you're doing, you're not adding any new functionality or technology by getting them trained up on that. You're just teaching them to be able to do something a little bit different than how they've been doing it forever. So as we look at ways for customers to make this as smooth of a transition as possible, ideally you want to change as little as possible, right? Cool. Um, so what are some other areas that um, where that yeah, are impacted? Absolutely. One of the things that comes up is availability. Uh, HA, high availability, has been a feature of vSphere or ESX for more than 10 years now. HA, if you're not familiar with it, is we have a host. The host experienced some sort of failure, and automatically the workloads that were on that host will restart on a different host. In the mega cloud providers, they don't quite have that same idea. In fact, if you go on to knowledge base articles on theirs, they'll say rather than you know, expecting a workload to restart somewhere else, you should treat all of your workloads as uh, cattle, not as pets. And if that workload dies, it should be ephemeral, and who cares, and we'll just start a new one somewhere else. That's all fine and dandy, except applications that were built in traditional IT environments aren't aware of the fact that they are now cattle and not pets. And so they haven't been architected to be able to deal with the fact that they may die at any second and have to restart somewhere else. By bringing VMware vSphere and VCF into the cloud through VMC, we have HA built in. So a host dies, which you know hopefully doesn't happen very frequently, but when it does, those virtual machines will automatically restart on a different host. We've also got features like vMotion. So if we know something's going to go on with a host, um, you know there's going to be a maintenance event or something like that. Uh, support on the back end can turn on something called maintenance mode. All those virtual machines will move off of that host that we're taking down for whatever reason. Keep running. There's no downtime for any of those applications. They didn't have to be re-architected or re-platformed or anything. They move to a known good host and they're up and running. Even more fun is, from an availability perspective, 
let's say your environment starts running hot. You know, you're, you're starting to run at 75% utilization of your CPU or memory. With uh, the VMware Cloud on AWS solution, we will actually automatically add a host for you, and then we'll reload balance uh, using DRS those workloads across those hosts. So at no point do you have one of those times where people are calling you and they're saying, hey, my application's not working well, and you look into it, and you're like, oh, well, it's because we're running at 100%. That won't happen in VMware Cloud on AWS because we're going to make sure that we keep enough hardware up and running for you so that your applications have the performance they're expecting at any given time. Yeah, and there's there's nothing wrong with how um, AWS or Azure do availability. It's just different. So if you have an application that's sort of built for one paradigm and you have to move it, you by definition are going to have to make changes to it simply because that paradigm doesn't necessarily exist in the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people are building applications now so that they can treat their applications like, like cattle, not pets. Um, but, you know, that goes back to the cost and the time thing. You don't necessarily want to steer dollars towards updating an application to be able to handle random failures uh, instead of doing something that your business actually needs, right? We, we, we want to just be able to say, hey, let's move it up. HA and DRS will take care of it as opposed to let's re, you know, redesign it. Well, the, other, um, the other thing that I've, I've found is um, just from a business perspective, how much do I want to spend my time and energy, you know, making a, a cattle application, right? Where I've already got a pet application. It's a fine pet application. And I actually like pets, right? I like the way my application runs. It's manageable. Uh, I know how to restart it, right? Um, where the minute you go into cattle, right, where you have microservices, you have a lot of different services, there are challenges that come with that architecture, right? And for, from my perspective, there's a size sizing issue that if, if you don't have a massive you know if you're not netflix or you don't want you don't need huge scale you've just got a an application that's a medium scale application um I never want to go to cattle, right? I, I want to live in a space. And, and so I think the big clouds have architected their solutions to be big cattle kind of namespaces. And even though they have great cloud services that I want to get to, I want to just have a traditional application that runs, that's manageable, that I know how to restart, uh, and, and, it, and it fits my business size. So therefore, give me a way to just keep it up continuously and I'll be happy. Right? Yeah, and I think to Jeff's yeah. point, the... Um, what you hit on retreat is a great point, Jeff, was this idea that there's nothing wrong with either approach, but pets should know their pets and cattle should know their cattle. And when you get into trouble is when, when, when they don't know. And, and that's what happens sometimes when you move an application and it's a completely different paradigm uh, underneath it. Well, and, you know, this actually brings up one other thing. Some, some customers are using VMware Cloud on AWS as a stepping stone of creating their cattle, or excuse me, their pets into cattle. Um, so if, if you think about it, you may have, maybe your company has grown large enough where you need that mega scale microservices application. Um, but you, you, it's not built on day one, right? It's not just available suddenly because you want it to be. So what we have is some customers are starting to pull out different services from their monolithic applications and right. use cloud native application services to be able to do those. Well, if your main application is still on-premises and you're using some of those new cloud services, that latency that I talked about, security issues, et cetera, may still exist. Right. With VMC, some of our customers are saying, hey, let's move that monolithic application. We'll put it right next to our new friends, those, those cattle, and they're going to have a really, really high-speed, low-latency link there. And as we start converting that monolithic application into microservices, 
We're going to maintain the performance that we have. And one day when we're done, that's cool. We'll decommission the old service. We have all of our new services running, and that's, you know, that's a happy end point. So um, I'm glad you all brought that up because that is what we see some of our customers doing as well, using this as that stepping stone, so to speak. Hey, Jeff, in terms of architectural differences, one thing we haven't talked about is storage. We talked about sort of compute and networking, but are, are there differences that come about because your options of how you do storage in the cloud will be different as well? Yeah, the, the number one thing that we see is from a performance perspective. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, everyone had spinning disks and you expected 100 or 150 IOPS per spinning disk and you were happy with that. So if you had a really high speed application, you may put a unit out there with 400 disks all spinning out there to get a you know adequate amount of IOPS. But over this past 10 years, uh, something neat came out called SSDs and flash storage. And customers have now gotten used to that. So it used to be, well, what's your highest application that uses a thousand IOPS? Nowadays, people are expecting an individual user using a VDI session to have a thousand IOPS available to them. And that's cool, that's good. Uh, but when you get to the cloud, uh, a lot of the cloud storage isn't necessarily made for as high as performance. Now you can absolutely go out there and get SSD backed storage for your EC2 instances, for example. But you have to know that you need that, and you have to select that at the beginning. With VMware Cloud on AWS, we build extremely high-speed NVMe uh, flash storage into every single one of our hosts. And the way that we've sized out our hosts is we took, you know, what do customers need from a CPU perspective? What do they need from a RAM perspective? And then on average, what do they need from a storage space and speed perspective? And we actually built kind of a Lego building block of ideal for all three of those. Because of that, our customers are able to, you know, on an individual i3 host, get upwards of 70,000 IOPS. Um, you know, going back to the spinning disk days, that would have taken somewhere near 500 disks to be able to get that much speed. We can get that per host. Now, because all of our hosts are clustered, what we now have is the ability to you know, as we scale out those hosts, get literally upwards of a million IOPS in an individual cluster, which means for those customers that have high-speed applications that require a lot of, you know, really fast storage, there's really no issues to get into there. In the cloud-native side, on the other hand, if you're, re, you know, if you're re-architecting or re-platforming your applications, there are so many choices that you have to make to make sure that you're going to get the speed as well as the space that you need that in a lot of cases, customers just decide to overbuy. So they'll say, you know what? I don't know what this application needs, so I'm just going to buy the fastest storage for it, which, you know, it works. But as we get back to the cost perspective, not only with storage does IT traditionally do that, but they've done that for years with virtual machines. They've done it with everything. Well, I don't know what it needs, so I'm going to give it eight CPUs and 16 gigs of RAM, even if it's, you know, a badge reader software. Um, in... <laughs> Traditional on-premises, that really doesn't matter because with VMware, we're able to over-provision and we have all sorts of tricks and magic in the background to allow customers to do that and get good performance. In the cloud, from a storage perspective, like I said, you have to pick that fast storage, which is going to have a cost. You're going to have the same thing when you pick that instance size. So you want four cores or eight cores and 16 gigs of RAM, you're going to pick an instance size. And that instance may sit there and run at 2% utilization all the time. But guess what? You're paying for 100%. If you're in the cloud on AWS, because we're taking that same um, virtualized storage and virtualized compute that we have on premises, you can do the same sort of over-provisioning that you've always done, 
but get full performance out of it and not pay extra for that. So does that hit what you were looking for, David? Yeah, I just, I, just, uh, I know that you're just going to face different choices because um, you're just going to have a different set of options. I think the same applies to when you think about, you know, a lot of our customers have Oracle on, pre- on premise, right? And uh, they'll face different choices as they go to the cloud and think about databases as well, right? Yeah, so Oracle's an interesting one. Um, Oracle, and actually a lot of other vendors now, are starting to license things by cores. And um, they're not incredibly cloud-friendly at at this point. And what I mean by that is, uh, depending on the application vendor, and I don't want to just pick on Oracle. My wife works there, so I have to be kind of nice. They say, you know, anything that our application might touch at any point needs to be licensed. Um, you know, because there are things like vMotion and high availability and our, our um, application vendors are aware of that. They're saying, hey, you know, it's not fair that you can just say I'm running on this one host and it has eight cores, so I want you to license that because it could really run anywhere. So when you're moving to the cloud, you need to be really careful and talk with your software vendors about what the implications of moving to the cloud may be. Now, we realized, and Oracle was kind of the one we made this for, but we realized some of our customers may want to run Oracle databases in the cloud, and they don't want to get hit with a lot of additional licensing fees because of how many cores things may have. So what we allow our customers is actually to take those i3 hosts that we've provided them, and I won't call it hobble, but you can hobble them by cutting down the number of cores that's available to the application uh, and create a cluster for, say, your Oracle uh, database cluster. Now, you're going to pay the same amount, right, because we're putting those same processors in there. But if your Oracle licensing costs $50,000 a core, and we can take you down to you know, eight cores per host versus the 30-plus that are actually in them, that can literally be millions of dollars in savings. And so if your applications are fine with that and you're okay with that, we can help save a lot of licensing costs using BMC that you wouldn't really be able to save in a more traditional um, you know, instance-type format. Cool. So you, you're working closely with uh, our partners, you know, in this case, VMC. You've got some real-world experience, right, in terms of uh, – you've got some real-world experience, right, in terms of uh, uh, some of the examples you've seen in your life, right, what, in terms of what's yeah. uh, coming forward. Maybe we talk about, you know, one or two examples. Yeah. So one of my favorite ones um, – we're not going to use names here, but – we have a customer that's an active VMware Cloud on AWS customer that came to us uh, early last year because they had been working with one of the uh, mega cloud providers and they had gotten a basically a quote, right? And the quote was for the ability to move one of their data centers up into that cloud. And they were actually perfectly happy with the price. Um, pricing was fine. They said, you know, we, we can handle that. We were expecting that it fits our, our total cost of ownership. But the thing that hit them kind of weird was the amount of time it would take to actually move the applications in their data center up into the cloud. Um, that provider had given them a uh, time and materials for services to be able to move it up that said it would take them just about three years to be able to move all of the applications up into that cloud. Now, the reason it was gonna take so long is because all of those applications, first of all, they had to find all the dependencies, but then they were going to literally refactor them, so convert them into that mega clouds um, format. And then they figured they'd be able to move somewhere around 30 applications a week if they had a couple of services people working with them to do that. 
So that was that three-year platform uh, change to get those 4,500 or so apps up into the cloud. Yeah, I was just going to ask how many. So it was about 4,500 applications? About 4,500 applications. And, you know, again, they were fine with the price, and they liked that cloud provider, but they just said, you know, (laughs) we, we can't just keep this data center up and running for three more years because that's how long it's going to take to get there. Uh, there were serious capital costs uh, with keeping that data center open. And so they said, you know, we've heard that VMware Cloud on AWS makes this a little bit easier. Can you all talk to us about how long it would take for you to be able to do that? So luckily, uh, we had a lot of the information about what their applications were already and how, how those were all working. And we came back um, with our services group, and instead of that 30 applications a week that they thought they'd be able to move, uh, we guess at the slow end, we'd be able to do about 300, and at the high end, we'd be able to do about 600 a week. Um, surprisingly, they didn't believe that. Uh, you know, I guess when we say we're 10 to 20 times faster at moving applications, they were a little wary. So uh, we worked with them on a pilot, and we said, okay, why don't we just try and get the first few hundred applications moved up? If it works, great, you'll trust us, and we're going to move everything. If it doesn't work, that's okay, because this is VMware Cloud on AWS. You can literally just migrate it back to your on-premises data center and try you know, the original way that you were going to go. They said okay. Um, so we signed that deal with them about six months ago. There was a little bit of work working with their network team to get up and running. But after a month, we had moved just over 1,000 workloads. At that point, they said, hey, you know what? We actually believe you. It seemed to work. And we've now moved all of the workloads from that first data center out, and they're contemplating us for some of their overseas data centers as well um, because of how easy it was and how quick it was. And Jeff, just to, just to put a fine point on it, that really goes to the discussion we were having earlier, right, around this issue of the difference between not having to make changes to the application and the difference to be able to have to go through each application, figure out what changes have to happen, make those changes, and then move on to the next application. Is that right? Absolutely, because, you know, what what our customers are trying to do is, again, they're trying to make it as simple as possible while simultaneously cost-effective as possible. And we have different tools that are included with the VMware Cloud on AWS solution that allow you to literally pick a group of applications, uh, you know, a set of things that need to work together based on those dependencies that we found. We'll replicate all the data um, up into the cloud, and then we'll vMotion them live up into the cloud. So your your users don't even experience any downtime. Um, and that application keeps up and running. So there's none of that, you know, you deep, deep changes or thought process or anything that has to occur to be able to move to the cloud because we're not making any changes. We're literally just extending their network and copying things up. Um, so it is as simple as it seems. And then on an ongoing basis, they're leveraging the same operating model, right? There's the same tools, same processes, because they're effectively extending what they were already doing, right? Yeah, so that customer uses one of our automation products as well as one of our operation management products. And those products work exactly the same on-premises as they do in the cloud. And so, you know, they, like I mentioned, have other data centers that are still open. So they're still using those solutions to monitor and manage their on-premises data centers. Well, at the same time, they've pointed it to VMware Cloud on AWS as an endpoint, and it works the exact same way for them. And just uh, another point, you, you said um, the technique works not only to get to the cloud, but if you wanted to go back, if they ever wanted to go back into the data center, they could. If they wanted to someday maybe leverage Azure, they could. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things is, you know, cost 
change, you know, abilities change, et cetera, within these providers. And so that's why we've partnered with so many of these cloud providers. And, you know, I mentioned Amazon, I mentioned Google, I mentioned Microsoft, but we also have um, partnerships with IBM, with Oracle, uh, with Alibaba. So, you know, these customers may find things that they want to use in those other clouds. And as long as we're running the VMware Cloud Foundation in those clouds, which we are, those customers can move things from place to place, back on premises, whatever makes the most sense for their business. Cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. I can't wait until we have uh, cross uh, multi-cloud where I could I could have some services running on Azure, some services on my app running on AWS, and then uh, they're they're connected through NSX through both clouds. I know that's not here yet, but uh, the dream for me is then to be able to pick which which services, best of breed services I want out of each cloud. And my app just sits on a you know on a cloud foundation framework and pulling the things needed. And maybe it's running on AWS one week, and maybe it's running on. Uh, then they can bid. You know, price per CPU, and yeah. I you know I can have I can have vMotion just control where where I'm going to be running based on uh, on their price. But that's Absolutely. my dream. That's my dream. Sounds neat. I, I, I gotta I gotta I gotta say it's uh, it's very interesting to to hear real world you know you know savings and and just the the numbers that you highlight here on you know time three years to move apps into the cloud uh, versus you know maybe three six months to yeah. to move into the cloud and and obviously that saves time of you know of moving into you know, from a dog from a pet to a to, to cattle but nonetheless this gives you a way to get there without needing to you know assume a lot of risk, right? And uh, in, in solving this problem without getting fired, the old IBM adage, nobody gets fired if they chose IBM. This is, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of those scenarios where you can get into cloud, but then manage that risk and get there successfully and, and, and quicker and cheaper than you could otherwise. And then refactor your applications, you know, bit at a time, take advantage of new services as they're there. It's a, it's a, it's a great way to do it. What what I love about uh, VMC on on AWS or you know running VMware technologies on Azure is just what it does to that sort of that equation that people have to solve for in terms of is it worth m my investing time and energy in moving this application right because the, the challenge is you don't know is it ten hours is it a hundred hours you don't know that up front and you often don't know until you get going and so. That just stops you in your tracks because you just don't know what to do with that application. And, and we've had a couple other podcasts uh, yeah. that we've talked about, you know, some of the stories where, you know, people came in and thought they were going to move to a new architecture. And four years later, they're, they're starting from scratch again because yeah. it, it sometimes it's not possible. So I love what it does for that. And then just um, allow people to put their money where they really want to put their money, which is building that new apps and not... Yeah you know, spending a lot of time changing applications that they don't really want to change. Right. It's cool. It's one, awesome. One other question that, that, that I have just sure. uh, anecdotally, like, do you see the, uh, these kind of examples where they're shutting down their own data center and then running out at, uh, at AWS because, you know, they're just scale better at building out data center capability? Uh, I, mean, I mean, you work as a practice in this. Yeah. What's your overall sense there? Yeah, we've got a customer here in here in beautiful Texas, um, you know, as I mentioned 10, 15 years ago, virtualization wasn't necessarily a huge thing. And so as companies were growing, they were building out data centers to be able to grow into them forever. Um, so talking multiple generators, tens of air conditioning units, et cetera. So they built out these wonderful giant data centers. 
And thanks to the magic of virtualization have shrunk the amount of racks that they're running in there from hundreds of racks to maybe 10. Um, unfortunately, you can't just say, well, I'm running 10 racks in here now. I'm not going to have my generators anymore and I'm going to turn off my air conditioning, et cetera. So they have these huge capital expenditures that they've made um, that they have to maintain, they have to keep going. And they're using maybe 5% of the space in there. Mm, and so right. one of our customers here in Texas uh, has that. And it's really amazing. It's a huge room. It's great for running around. You can play hide and go seek, except there's no servers running in there, except in one little corner. So they're um, using VMware Cloud on AWS uh, to first get out of that data center here early in this year. Uh, but then they have very similar data centers in Europe as well. And so the plan is once we get out of that U.S. data center, they're going to be doing the same exact thing there. Yeah, it's, um, So it, customers are absolutely shutting down data yeah, centers. Yeah. Um, we're also using them from a DR perspective. A lot of customers have disaster recovery sites. And, you know, a lot of the time they'll send their older, you know, maybe when they refresh their um, servers, they'll send their old servers over to the disaster recovery site. Sometimes that site's a owned DR site, other times it's a co-located site. Um, but in either case, what we've seen is a lot of those customers, because they're using their decommissioned production hardware in DR, they ever do have a DR event, they don't have enough uh, performance to actually be able to run their applications, you know, because there's a reason they got rid of their five and six-year-old servers. So similarly to getting rid of the data center, a lot of our customers are using VMware Cloud on AWS as a disaster recovery solution because right. we can run, you know, three or four hosts up at any given time. They can run right. production workloads. They can run test dev. But in the event of a disaster, um, all those workloads can shut down. We'll spin up additional hosts as they're needed for the customer. And now they're able to run on full production type hardware just in the cloud without yeah. having to buy twice as much brand new hardware. It's it just, yeah, it's the right <laughs> model. And it just reminds me of my own life where I had servers, used to have them on my garage, right? And uh, then I, they got smaller and, and my space needed smaller. So I moved it to a little room in my attic, right? Like had a little, little air conditioning room up there, but it was only like 10 or seven servers. Eventually went to a co co-location, half a cage, right? Where uh, then I would just drive down because I'd have to cover power and AC. It was just cheaper just to have it in a, a buddy of mine's half cage. And uh, now we're like AWS. We just, you know, because we don't have to drive anywhere. We don't have to have, you know, power managers that t can turn off remotely, all that stuff, and, 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 and uh, server upgrades. We're just like, yeah, we just pay as we go at AWS. And just, yep. you're just never going to be able to match somebody like AWS in terms of like the number of data centers they have, the locations they have. I, I wonder, are they up to like 170 now? I don't know. It's like some crazy number. Uh, but is yours, you know, right behind them and. Google will get there and just, you know, just as far easier to take advantage of their data center than to sort of try to maintain your own. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, they've already built it. You might as well use it, right? Yeah. Okay, uh, Jeff, uh, thanks for coming on and uh, giving us some insight. It's been great to see somebody working out in the field managing uh, this stuff and giving us, uh, giving us some real-world examples. So thanks for coming and being on the show. Where are you to next, Jeff? Nice, thank you. Uh, we have our, uh, we've got our sales kickoff coming in about two months. So we are going to be spending a lot of time with um, the core account teams, the folks that work directly with our customers for everything VMware, to train them up uh, on the VMware Cloud on AWS solution. So uh, I think some of our customers are going to be hearing even more about this and have some really smart people coming to them that can answer questions for them when they have them. Cool. All right. How do you say your last name, Jeff? Eberhard. 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 Jeff Eberhard, thanks a lot. Are you on Twitter? Can people follow you? 
I am. I'm tech 